And I, I guess I didn't know that idea of emotional optimism, which I love. My form of optimism is kind of like through survival. Like I know as bad as it gets, it's most likely going to be a temporary thing. And that's how I've always worked through life is no matter what this is right now, it's just gotta get better than this. And so yeah. like, I think my optimism's always been like, as hard as it is to get out of bed some days and face certain things, I actually do have a real belief that everything turns around. Hey everyone, I'm Claude Silver and I am an emotional optimist. For me, there is absolutely no false or toxic positivity in emotional optimism. It is simply an awareness that we have the capacity to influence how we feel and how we think. And that even in our darkest times, we know that the light is actually always there. So join me as I ask each and every one of my guests what emotional optimism means to them. does this truth just like live inside of you and you get out and then finally I was like I got I gotta just reach out to you and say can we jam so yeah um, that's where I'm gonna start like Matt like where where does all of this live inside of you um you know like to go back to the beginning my I, I was always doing art I've always been I started with writing when I was a kid and then making music uh, I grew up painting graffiti and doing murals, um, you know, mixed media work, photography. And when my dad died, um, which was like a huge shock, tra traumatizing event, um, just the way it went down. I, you know, I came back to Boston from New York and I didn't really do anything for a while. I couldn't, I, I don't know if it was related to that. Like in retrospect, probably it was related to the whole situation and just trying to find closure but i didn't do anything for a long time for like maybe two years anything creative really some graffiti stuff but um and then i started noticing in, in meetings at work and i only in the past two years or so i've officially been diagnosed with add or adhd but um so my whole life i've been like drawing in class right and so drawing in meetings was nothing new um but i started noticing that i was kind of writing little, I don't know, it's like one sentence thoughts or mantras or statements. And then I started kind of drawing at first, not necessarily relevant to what the statements were, or the thoughts, doodles around them. I really just liked how that was aesthetically. I think, you know, I'm covered in tattoos. I think at first there was a little bit of like a homage to tattoo flash. It seemed very simple to just put like a a thought like um missing you and putting like a little doodle with it right and then i just couldn't stop like immediately i it became like very consuming um and i found it to be very helpful to just kind of take what was stuck up upstairs and get mm -hmm. it out yeah. um yeah. And, and and now in retrospect i realize that's like a form of journaling right to to work out thoughts and emotions um and get it down to a tangible form and I've always, I've always said, like, these things are invisible. What you feel, what you think, they're invisible. And my, and my four-year-old son lately has been stuck on some dots lately. He, 
got scared by something. And now he always comes to me and says, you know, I can't get this thought out of my head. And I really relate to that because I mean, we all, we all do it's rumination, but it makes me think about this invisible nature of feelings and thoughts. And I always felt like it was so noisy that if I could kind of extract it, put it in some sort of tangible form, then I could look at it from different angles, almost physically, right? I could look at it, try to figure out what the problem was, what the root of this feeling was, um, embrace it if it was a good thing. And by doing all of that, I could work through it. Now, the interesting thing is that they never stopped coming. <laughs> the feelings, the, the thoughts, they never stopped coming. So it's kind of like an endless well. So when people are like, how are you so prolific? You're doing this every day. It's like, Oh, trust me, if I had more time, if I didn't have, a, you know, my, my actual career and, and children and a family, I don't know, I don't, I, it probably wouldn't be good because I'd be like in a room covered in, in drawings. But, you never um, leave the house. You'd never leave. Yeah. So that's basically the roots of it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it was like, not only journaling, but cathartic, you know, cathartic it sounds like. And, oh, and um, you know, listen, they don't call it art therapy for nothing. Right. Which, which I never had, you know, being an artist, I never looked down that Avenue. Right. I never, I've been in therapy for years, even before my father passed away and I never really took it seriously. Um, mm -hmm. And that I've, I've struggled with it since then and all these different challenges of life that we all go through. Um, but I never looked at art therapy. And now I think because of the reaction to what I put out there, it's like, Oh, wow, this could really, really, change people's lives and i think now more than ever that's going to become more important yeah i mean i think i so many things first of all thanks for sharing the journey because that you're right that's like where the inception for sure yeah. and it feels as though what you're doing and what's and and there's other people out there that are <sighs> sharing that I don't even know what to call it. There's like this convergence, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, you <laughs> know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 It's like, there's a zeitgeist, there's a, there's a movement, there's a zeitgeist. I don't know what it is, but where I've never met you in my life, we come from very different worlds. Um, there's nothing you know on paper that looks the same. And yet you're talking about a human experience and I'm a human being. And it's, I can relate to it right? like a truth, a truism. And so can thousands of other people. And it's just, why it's just wild. The access think, now also that we have. Right. And, and that's the interesting thing I, I struggle with is when people say, you know, maybe say like the zeitgeist of kind of soul bearing or other artists of different mediums kind of laying out their truths for other people to see i never i never saw i never i guess i never accepted that as and as there being any other options to that so like when i look back to my roots of art with writing writing poetry and putting together zines of poems when i was 15 years old and thinking like okay this is cool i'm just doing um diy printmaking right and I didn't realize how honest that was. I didn't realize that other artists might camouflage everything through very cryptic lyrics or abstract paintings. So basically the, the common thread through all the mediums I've explored throughout the years has been pretty transparent, my experience 
And um, it's you're right. It is interesting now that that's becoming like a a thing because you would think this has always been a thing to just be honest. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like I don't know. I I don't know if like Andy Warhol's soup can was his truth or it was a statement on society. You know what I mean? If you think about, yeah. and I'm using him as an example. We could use Claude Monet. It doesn't it doesn't matter. But like here. You know, I don't know. We speak. I was just thinking about. I uh, was into zines myself and did some zines. And and like, where did zines go? Zines were so cool. They are, zines. It's no, they they exist, but it's it's such a it's like a a, a niche like life uh, counterculture kind of in a way, like a yeah. a counterculture to. And I really love it. I I love the counterculture to the access of the internet at this point even though it helps obviously we're connecting through this and of course it's 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 it bridge it's a bridge right but there's something that was lost in that access and that immediacy um into the you know in other ways non-truths or alternate realities that it's very grounding to go analog and i think totally um you know, part of dealing with the human experience, emotions, feelings, reactions to the world is that that is very grounding. Um, you know, my actual career is in the fashion industry and nothing about that is, um, you know, the, the idea of fashion obviously goes back in mankind, but, um, or society, I should say, but, um, there's nothing about that that is is anchored by a human experience per se. Although mm-hmm. you could say you know, it's part of identity, et cetera. But um, so yeah, uh, I take this stuff really. You yeah. know, I, I I I put a lot of thought into it because, um, like, I think it's it, it can be like life saving. You know what I mean? It sounds like it was, and and just as you know, BMX riding or snowboarding or whatever someone's going to do can be really cathartic and life-saving to them too, or going to a support group, all that. Yeah. I totally, totally relate to what you're saying in terms of that analog world and, and how it really is so important to step away from this world. Although this is great. We've met here. It's great. We all have phones, but like, there's something really raw about the cassette tape, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's because it's physical. I don't know if, and, and that's another part of struggle with is if your art, for example, is mostly known through the lens of a digital presentation, right. Um, that people are, are absorbing it with their eyes through a screen, but at the same time, the substance of it is so far from that. Although there are pieces that are reactionary to that. A lot of it actually is social commentary, but I struggle with that as somebody who's been involved in other mediums that were like making cassettes as a young kid. Right. And physical touch, you know, for Christmas, actually, I I asked, um, on my, on my list, because I still make lists for my mom. (laughs) mom. (laughs) I put a typewriter. I've had typewriters all over my, all throughout my life. I have a typewriter tattooed on me. Um, I haven't had one in years that wasn't just kind of a sculpture or like a, like literally in my house is like something to look at and appreciate. Um, and I asked for a working typewriter because when I used to write or type on a typewriter, that connection to the physical 
conduit, I guess I would say, or the machine made everything more intentional intention. So like yeah. when you have to record to a tape or a reel to reel or make a zine, everything has so much more intention to it. Um, you can't just delete it off your feed or, you know, yeah. it's, um, so it just makes you think. I a love that. Yeah. I love that. You- uh, honestly, you're, you know, you have to get the bottle of white out, out, you know, look at paper <laughs> and or, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you're going to get a typewriter. That's a little more advanced and there's some kind of like thing. No, like, no, yeah. I'm going, I'm going like royal. <laughs> just I love that. Driven. Yeah. I love that. So what, tell me a little bit more about, um, like fashion, how you spend your day. I didn't, I wouldn't well, have known that. I, yeah, by day I um, run marketing for this this company called Bodega. Uh, mm-hmm. It's out of Boston in, in LA um, in ecom, and it's you know it's a place where um, kids line up for sneakers. We do raffles. You know we have we have you know very hard to get products. Um, yeah. It's a marketplace. It's a it's its own brand, a private label. It's also a bit of a creative agency of the brands we carry, whether nice. that be like a, something we'll do campaigns for. Um, so yeah, every aspect of marketing for them from digital to experiential. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's one of my passions. Um, it's interesting going back to that, you know, youth culture is like, these are things that I grew up on skateboarding, being into graffiti, et cetera, where streetwear, cause it's in that realm of sneakers and streetwear. Um, that was kind of the uniform that we invented to, to go along with those, you know, the lifestyle that we're living through those, you know, subculture activities, I would say. And then it became an actual industry. So for us, it was like kids making brands. There weren't even brands. It was just putting graphics on t-shirts. Right. You didn't want to wear the gap like every other kid. Right. Right. Um, or you go thrifting or what have you. And now it's an industry. So it's kind of, it's very interesting actually to be able to to have a career marketing that when it's just actually looking at my younger self. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, I'd be excited about. Yeah. You, even the way you're, you're dressed is the way that, you know, the guys in high school were dressed. Like it's no, I'm looking at you and I'm like, yeah. I know you, I know you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm older than you, but I'm sure, but I still, we're in a very similar genre with one another. Like when we would wear in seventh grade, when uh, I would never, never forget this one kid wore um, Dr. Zog's t-shirt to, yeah, yeah. and he had to take it off, had to go home and take it off because it said sex wax on it. Right. I remember right? that was a controversial thing at one point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just what it was. Some stoners were sitting in a room and they had some wax and they were like, we should call it sex wax or. Right. Right. If he, you know what, if he was growing up in like Long Beach, that would have been fine. Right. Because I was, yeah. You were in the, you were in East Coast, right? No, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where there are uh, no okay. waves anyway. Yeah, Although yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. he was a skater, but didn't matter. Yeah. Didn't matter to the, the school I went to, you know. So, but, but so anyway, uh, that's, that's rad. What, um, so do you have any like artistic, creative influences living, uh, not yeah. living? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my late father was a, a blues musician and he was, and this is an important point I like to always point out is that um, he's like what I call like a life artist. He was an outdoorsman. He was like a real wilderness outdoorsman. His nickname was the bear. Um, Cause he was like a, just a grizzled um, 
<laughs> they could like live off the land if he had to, even though he grew up in the city. Um, and he, the way he lived his life was, was art. And that's why I always say you don't have to be a visual artist to be an artist. I think there's certain individuals who just the way they move through the world is spectacular. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And usually they do end up doing something that someone could say is a form of traditional art, right? Like if you look at someone like Hunter S. Thompson, mm-hmm. he's a writer, right? And that's in his whole over is controversial, right? But even him as an individual is like, okay, that guy, whether you agree with his lifestyle or not, is living art. You know, he's, he's that eccentric and interesting. My dad was very much a living artist. Um, and then my mom is is the best, and she is a is a writer. And mm-hmm. even now, I she does like a poetry night, and I show up to it, and we kind of just like go back and forth with poems. It's really like wow. Um, wow. Then my brother Nick is a is a pretty established artist, um, and uh, I often think about this because you know your brothers were both in, well, he's 41 now, I'm 38. We, um, you know, at this point in our lives, we have families and we can butt heads about things. And it's, and I always have to remind myself, like, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have ever gone into anything that I'm into because it was a true older brother experience where he would have to take me around the city all day with him after school. And, um, you know, we got into graffiti together. We got into skateboarding together he really took more traditional art to heart before I ever did. Um, and he put me onto things. And then he was also very encouraging to the things that I was doing that just weren't popular at the time, like making books of scenes or producing yeah. albums in your bedroom. So like having that support from him, even to this day is like the most important thing to me. It's beautiful. Like yeah. you have, so you have a four-year-old son. Yeah, and a two and a half, well, four and a half and two and a half. All right. I have a six-month-old uh, girl and a three-year-old girl. It's intense. Yeah, it's hellacious. <laughs> it's amazing and hellacious. My um, my question is, well, the question is around creativity and kids, because obviously that's all they are. That's yeah. all they do. That's all they are. And so how do you, I guess, play with and foster that, especially with the four, four and a half-year-old? Wow. It's, it's like it, that has become one of like uh, my, my happiest creative outlets at this point is doing creative things with them, especially my four and a half year old Gus. He, uh, he, he seems super advanced to me compared to other kids his age. He, he walks around the house and draws scenes of everything. He has an, an amazing imagination. He's like a true Zaremba. If he knew my family and like the lineage of creators, um, he's definitely that. Um, and I, and I literally keep all of his drawings. I have massive stacks of drawings. Um, and my thing is because, you know, as much as I admired my father, he was also kind of like the most scary person to me. We had a very dynamic relationship. And I think that was one of the hard parts of trying to find closure after his death is like, it wasn't good in his life right Mm -hmm. um with us and and that was passed on generation to generation and um so 
he would show support in weird ways. Like Christmas, he would, that sampler or turntable that I was like itching for would just be there. And it was like, a, they always supported me with tools, but I don't think I had like the vocal support as much. My mom for writing, for sure. She mm-hmm. thought I was like the best writer and convinced me to go to school for it, et cetera. Um, but so one of my main priorities is in, is vocally encouraging and supporting. So like everything, I just like, I'm down there, my hands and knees on the floor with him drawing. And yeah. I, I just try to say like, this is amazing. And if he's not into it, like he got something wrong or in his mind, it doesn't look good. You know, I just try to reinforce like, well, this is just a step towards whatever you want to eventually do. You know what I mean? It's, it's huge. That. It's huge to me. I have to like offset generational issues and like that's one of my main ways is like through support yeah um, it's beautiful yeah yeah showing up like showing up He's showing up yeah showing up. because, because there's, than- there's going to be other ways that we're going to distance in life naturally all parents and children do in time right yeah. in, in ways and, and you hope not to but i feel like at this point if i can always show support and like you said show up then that'll be kind of the foundation of everything. I I totally agree. I'm late. I was late to having kids and it's just the best thing that ever happened. It's like, yeah, it's hard. It's (laughs) It's the hardest thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what the next, you know, three hours of my night are. My second, they're not mine. And then come (laughs) 7.30, I'm like, seriously, I have to eat now. And yeah, Yeah, but but the joy and just watching these kids wake up to life and like, right. it just blows, it just blows me away. And someone that's not sure I'm creative. I have my own creativity. Of course, I believe a lot of people do, but you know, I'm a stick figure to type of gal. And so I'll say to my four, uh, my uh, three-year-old, like, okay, so what are you wearing today? You know, and it's always going to be a pink dress or a pink tutu. So I've mastered that, you know, uh, and, and the feet and I'm mastering the hair and I'm mastering like not really but it's so cute because they don't know the difference and I'm like well, she I, can I, imagine that and what I like about you know being around kids and their creativity I'm actually trying to pitch I'm gonna pitch a a kids um art show at this to this local gallery museum soon um because I just have this vision of like, instead of wine and crackers, et cetera, it's like juice boxes and pirate booty. And it's going to like, I just want kids at a young age to see the attention that people can give them for their things as though like, that's the most important thing. Cause I, I, I imagine like that would be such a huge confidence lift. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. What, I, what I like about the creativity is as adult artists, a lot of the stuff that we look at is adults trying to find that, non-biased unjaded realm of creativity that only kids can do yeah right so yeah that's like um i don't know our old friend eddie martinez he's a huge contemporary artist his paintings are abstract they're very childlike and he's worked his whole life to develop the style that looks childlike right yeah. and you can look at the greats all the artistic greats who are working especially in abstract they're all trying to get back to that kind of naive state of not being influenced by the outside world 
and that's amazing. Um, I also see it in people who suffer from mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at people like Henry Darger, for example, like the great, he, no one even knew he was an artist, I believe, until after he died and they found mm-hmm. his attic full of these wow. um, very interesting drawings. But you see that in people who are suffering from mental illness, children, um, and really just any outsider. Mm-hmm. So he just yeah. stated that it's just un, it's un, um, I don't know. It's not, it's not watered down by, by life yet. It's, yeah. it's, or, or it's immune from it in some way. I don't know. It's removed from the, from the pressures, et cetera, training of society. And I, I really think that's interesting. I, I agree. The word that was coming to me was um, it's, it's untethered. It's, right. Yep. It's just, it just, it just is, is. It's, just, it's existing. <laughs> and and yeah. isn't that like what we're all trying to do? Like whether that's through mindfulness, um, meditation, um, I don't know, yeah. hobbies, like you're just trying to exist, like be here now. Be here now. And I think that's like my overall, that's always my goal is to kind of shut this off, <laughs> you know, the brain. Yeah. And just try to have like the gratitude for the present because I find I find things very challenging, especially right now, as 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 probably most people do in, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think that goes back to the whole analog convo we were having about yeah. like why having a zine in your hand is so, you know, having that raw paper in your hand or a typewriter because it is you're here and now like Google, Google docs, I can save this and save that later and save that, you know, but there's something about being here and then needing that bottle of liquid paper to white out the junk that you just, you know. Right. I mean, I I do that another way. Like I'll go out to, I'm really big into nature. I mean, I, that sounds weird. I'm big into nature, but I I really do try to get outdoors as much as possible. And, Mm I will just find like a rock in the sun and just sit there for like an hour if I can. Yeah. And that's like my sweet spot, you know? Beautiful. Um, yeah. That, the outdoors does it for me too. Yeah. Or like just looking at a tree, looking at the trees. And I love the fact that uh, we, we left the city and came out to, you know, whether or not they call, you call these the burbs or whatever, I don't know, but it's a nice place to raise kids. And also like, yeah. I can see deer here and rabbits and right. How cool is how cool is that? What what's your on your ring, by the way? It looks so cool. Oh, uh, this is uh, I don't know if you can see that. It's a the yeah. moon with train tracks wrapped around it. It's uh it's my wedding ring I drew um, that my friends at Digby and Iona, who I often do collabs with, jewelry collabs, made. It was based on uh, my wife and I were in on a trip in Georgia. Um, Savannah. We're coming back from Atlanta, back to Savannah, and there was a huge, huge moon just rising over the highway. And we, I was just one of those moments, kind of like giddiness, like um, just kind of letting go a bit. And we were, we were trying to like chase the moon. We were saying like, let's chase the moon. Uh, So we're like getting off the road and like trying to go down country roads to try to find like a field to see it better. And I ended up doing a drawing at one point of this that said chasing the moon with you. Mm. Like a nice so little map. Um, so yeah. Like that's all, that's where all the drawings come from. It's just like either real time reaction or little memories. Yeah. I love like that. Little conversations. Right. 
Also, your hat says awake. Yeah, that's a friend of mine brand. I like you. You totally rep your friends. It's the best thing you've name dropped so many times. And I mean that in the best of ways. <laughs> and I've been like, I'm like Digby and Iona. Oh, okay. Bodega. Oh, okay. Caleb. Uh, I, got, I got like a lot of respect for like what people I are love that. doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there is a, there is a network, you know, I have, I do have buddies that are like ranged from, I don't know, like celebrity musicians to brand owners, et cetera. And I think it's yeah. important. Uh, it's kind of like the rule of 150 in a way. I used to, I used to have this little DIY, um, like a little brand or kind of just kind of a crew of friends. And it was called rule of 150. And that's really Dunbar's law, which is that like a, a well-functioning group has to be, you know, an average 150 people um, where everybody knows each other. Everybody has a relationship with each other. And I kind of look at creativity the, the greater hemisphere or, or ecosystem of it as kind of the rule of 150, which is like, okay, you've got this really cool brand and you're making jewelry and you're producing music and I'm doing this. That's a whole movement. If you think about it, you know, Virgil Abloh, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with him. He's a, um, you know, he's an artist. He was a designer. He was the head of uh, design for Louis Vuitton. Oh, wow. They yeah, just uh, passed away, right? He's passed away and he, you know, he broke open doors for, for, um, you know, uh, black men, especially in, in industries and worlds where it was never necessarily open to them before. Um, and, and, you know, I've been spending a couple, and, you know, I, as well as other people have, have maybe been critical of certain projects or what have you that he had worked on, or, you know, everybody's always kind of criti- critiquing art or, innovation or what have you and the past few days i've really been thinking a lot about his legacy that he leaves behind um and it's astounding what he did in his short life right and um not only for like my industry but art in general and i think about that a lot as like what what you make in this life what you leave behind is the most important thing that you can do. I mean, I've lost a couple friends the past three months. Um, mm. and I just think about what they left behind. Right. And it's, it's, it's amazing what they've left behind. And so when I think of Virgil Abloh, for example, if I think of my network of friends and associates who are all doing interesting things, I see that as a movement. And what Virgil Abloh did was a movement that will be written about in books for forever. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know. I kind of big up or support people because um, it is a movement and you don't yeah. know until it's until it's passed. Like, oh, my God, that person. Yeah. The style of this thing or. Yeah, totally. You know, so yeah. It's, it's and of, and all of it starts on the fringes, too. Like, you know, absolutely. The yeah. subcultures and all of that. And, you know, I'm sure this this guy was like, I'm working at Louis Vuitton that happened. I'm just an artist or whatever. And then, you know, it's like, um, I don't think, you know, we'll use Andy Warhol again, just cause he's not, he's not, must be on my mind, but I'm sure like he wasn't sitting there doing the soup cans in the beginning being like, this is going to be the pop movement, man. It's going to be the pop movement. Yeah, no, no. And I don't think that, and, uh, I have a lot of qualms with Andy Warhol for, you know, he's a bit of like an ex- exploitative I yeah. guess I would say. 
like he's very controversial for how he kind of preyed on people. Although I can appreciate his work, but I would look at someone like say Bob Dylan, who um, you know became a voice for a generation. Yeah, he never he never intended for that. He said it all the time through interviews. You know, and it was interesting when people kind of turned on him when he went electric. I always kind of I right. always heard that because people really dislike that and they 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 really express that at concerts and you know i feel like that's what we're living in now it's kind of the one down one of the downsides so as much as we can connect right as much as i can connect with strangers around the world through art through a digital platform one of the other problems that's happened is that in every creator or anyone that utilizes the internet can understand this obviously your company with media etc is we're in a situation now where there's kind of like the crowd in the audience at the concert who are coming up on stage, grabbing the microphone and like, no, nah, I don't like that song that you're singing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's created like a, a two way street at times when it should remain a one way street because this yeah. is an artist's work who's broadcasting it to the world. And at times that's become very challenging for me where I have to reframe how I look at it to not either a get sucked down that hole and like kind of fight back against it yeah. or be by myself out. Yeah. That, that makes sense. It makes total sense. That's when I, that's when I turn to my good old boss, Gary Vaynerchuk, who just says it like it is, which is like, you know, haters going to hate. Right. And keep being yourself and make sure that you're surrounded with people that find value in you and you find value in them. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, they're, you know, I'm sure with all of the awe and accolades and wonderfulness that I'm sure Gary receives every day. And I've seen a lot of it just in emails. He also receives a lot of crap and you know, you're full of whatever. And uh, I don't know. It's it's always good for, especially someone like myself who second, third and fourths, you know, um, guesses anything I put out because I don't, I don't feel like it's right. Or I don't feel like it has that, that, that look and feel because it's not my, it's not my go-to, you know, thinking about what Gary says, it's just like, just produce Claude, just create, just create, just create. And I, it's easier said than done for especially a sensitive folk. (laughs) But um, that's what I was thinking about. Um, you know, because I was thinking about the podcasts, you know, eternal optimism, um, and how I need to, I need to remember those lessons more, um, you know, because there are people like Gary, um, someone like Virgil, for example, yeah. he was that, that was like, just keep creating. Don't yeah. worry about like, no, you don't need anybody to validate it. Just keep making it. Um, and I that's think- a really, really important lesson. It is. And actually, I call it emotional optimism because, and I think you embody it totally, which is really knowing who you are and it seems like and self-awareness and the shit that you've gone through and things that you carry every single day and wounds that have healed, all of that stuff. And yet, and yet still finding hope and yet still getting up and yet still getting on the floor with your son and yeah. yet there's possibilities and open doors. So it's, it's all, yeah, it's, it's, it's emotional optimism. It's not just optimism because yeah, we're. My, because my wife was, you know, people close to me are like, I definitely want to say you're an optimist, Matt. 
<laughs> I've always said like, I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. It's kind of like this tacky line. Right. Yeah. Um, I like to, I like to say that I'm, I'm utilizing critical thinking, uh-huh. but I, I, it's, I definitely have to talk myself into things. And then I was thinking about the idea of optimism and, and I realized like, I actually am optimistic because my optimism is through, and I, I guess I didn't know that idea of emotional optimism, which I love because my form of optimism is kind of like through survival. Like I know as bad as it gets, mm-hmm. you know, it's most likely going to be a temporary thing. And that's how I've always worked through life is no matter what this is right now, it's just got to get better than this, right? That's like right. if you look at COVID, for example, this whole situation for going on two years, it's like, this has to turn around, right? It's dire as it feels. And now we've got news of a new variant, et cetera. And people are getting anxious again. It's, it, it is a huge inconvenience. It is very taxing on all of us mm-hmm. for a myriad of reasons, but um, it has to get better. And so yeah. like, I think my optimism has always been like, as hard as it is to get out of bed some days and face certain things, I actually do have a real belief that, well, everything turns around until it doesn't anyway, until it's the end, right? Yeah. And it's not the end, right? Because you'll know when it's the end. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be so quick, but yeah. Yeah. if you're living, if you're breathing, things are still moving. That's, that's it. It's important. That's it. And the sun will rise again. That is yeah. something we know. And, you know, I just think, um, yeah, it's it's really about, it's really, I don't know, it's like being brave. And That's knowing, you, you know, you have everything a person has gone through and yet you still get up and you still put your feet on the floor and you go and- because, Yeah, because like, what else are you going to do? You know, and I, yeah, it's like, what else can you do? Right. Uh, so yeah, and that's something I'm I'm actually learning. Like, as I get older too, is if I said that to my 24 year old self, I'd be like, no, this night, this breakup, this job, this is everything. everything. And that, and now it's like, and, and I think having kids really grounds you because you see how resilient children are. It's like you might. I don't know, raised your voice for at them for something they did and feel super guilty later. And like, that's not even, that's, it doesn't even register or they fall and hurt themselves and you're, you're worried and you're calling the doctor's office and talking to nurses and they're trying to, you know, reassure you. And then you realize like an hour later, they're just totally fine. over it. They've got a huge scrape and they don't even, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, and I and I, I do look at my sons a lot as like, well, just be like Jasper and Gus because like they get super bummed, but they get bummed over, you know, not getting a cookie or yeah. you know, like at, at like eight at night or something. And they ball so hard, but like I know how to like tickle them and make them laugh. Or in the morning, they'll have no memory of that and they'll just be going at it again. And um, I think like as adults, we forget that kind of fluidity of life, you know? And I I actually have to like convince myself of this every day. And it's in the drawings too. You know, I write a lot of, I mean, I make a lot of illustrations that are saying you, like it'll say you. And it's almost like I'm talking to an audience. 
Um, and I think a lot of people find hope in those pieces because they, they actually think it's like some other accounts that are very much like, you've got this. Mm -hmm. If you ever paid attention to my work, it's like, well, the you is usually me looking in the mirror and saying it back to myself and trying to convince myself this is the truth because I deep, I know deep down it is, but I have to say it to myself like a mantra. So it's a lot of the illustrations are actually talking back to myself. Um, and then the flip side of that is, is I will do illustrations that are kind of like, you've got this, but if you look under them in small text, it'll be kind of some sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I also believe in grounding in reality to say like, you can't just say like, you've got this. You've got to say like, you'll probably get this, but along the way, you're going to get beat down. You're going to be exhausted. You're going right. to really have to like crawl over the finish line. And you might not be in first place at all, but you got yeah. over the finish line and you accomplish that. And then maybe if you come back to it the next day and the next day, next day, you'll push yourself up in the ranks. It's, it's like exposure therapy. So that's kind of how I, um, I'm operating at least um like aesthetically through the art or like the the message is kind of like self-awareness <laughs> and self-therapy and also grounding that in like a healthy dose of cyn cynicism in the sense of like let's be realistic about what's about to happen it's going to be very awkward yeah you're totally you're realistic <laughs> yeah you're a realistic optimist and yeah. it is going to be awkward because it is awkward and there's no playbook and we're no. just, you know, I, I hope, and I do think that most of us are not all of us doing the best we can. So yeah. it's so, it's awesome to meet you. Thank you for spending time with me. I, I'm really into your art and I thank you so much for some of these names because I'm going to dig into it. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm really going to open up, like, if it's not tonight, It'll be like it, my zines are right over here in this box, nice. believe it or not. Then it's just this box. Uh, right over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone through like so many households with me. It's like taped together with, I don't know. Um, Matt, thank you so much. It's really, it's really awesome to meet you. And um, this will go out and I'll share it. And uh, I hope we cross paths like in real time. Yeah. I'll be, uh, you know, I'll get to New York when it's not scary with yeah. health stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah let's stay in touch. And uh, thanks for having me. I love it. All right. Thank you, Matt. Hey, everybody. If you want to start a podcast or you have a podcast that you want to get up and running, please, please reach out to my team at onairbrands.com. That's onairbrands.com. They're the best.